Well, welcome, everybody. Today's show is the second in a two-part series about both the challenges and best practices in bringing in the investment capital needed to continue your successful business growth and expansion. I've heard some industry analysts use the phrase, grow or die, but I think that may be too dramatic. There are businesses out there with longevity which don't grow materially, but I think you'd agree with me that the ongoing profitable growth is preferable to scenarios where businesses stagnate or underperform their competitors. Now, if you've ever gone down the route of securing outside investment in your business, you'll likely have found that the road is not easy. There are many challenges which we'll explore with my guest today. There are also best practices which, if you're aware of them and proactively plan in advance, will help you increase your success. And I found that being able to demonstrate strong current performance, a strong talent pool, and a high confidence growth plan dramatically impacts your success. So those are sort of new three Ps of performance, people, and plan. Now I call this show the Practical CMO, and we're gonna give you practical guidance from an investment banker today who has successfully guided many businesses through the process of bringing in capital to support growth initiatives. And his experience is very hands-on since as a CEO, he led companies through the process as well. So let's get the conversation started. Today, my guest is Elmer Baldwin, Senior Executive Director of Technology for the Minneapolis investment banking firm of Cherry Tree & Associates. Cherry Tree is highly regarded for guidance and expertise in helping clients through major business lifecycle milestones which includes securing capital for growth. Now, Elmer and I met many years ago when Elmer was the CEO of a tech company and we discovered that we have a shared passion for technology-enabled business models. Elmer now serves as an investment banker, strategic advisor, and board member of multiple companies. I work with Elmer and his team to help his clients prepare for the process of raising capital or recapitalizing their business. And I'm confident that Elmer is going to give you excellent guidance on today's topic. He and his team recently secured a $16.1 million investment from California-based Virgo Investment Group for his client, LifeSpark. I'll let Elmer tell you a little bit more about his business. Elmer, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for inviting me, Mark. Well, let me just give you a little overview about Cherry Tree. Cherry Trees, as you said, a Minneapolis-based investment bank. We have uh, decades of experience helping entrepreneurs, owners, boards, executives, grow their business and execute on strategic growth and liquidity objectives. We provide sell-side, buy-side financing and strategic advisory services to mostly medium-sized growth companies. My focus is primarily on technology and technology-enabled companies that offer services and products to enterprise clients, so the B2B market primarily. Our approach is focused on the unique requirements of each opportunity in each company. We develop a plan together with the management team that is custom tailored to the situation, the needs of the business and the industry. In the case of LifeSpark, uh, with your help, we advise Joel and his team on the process of organizing, modeling, documenting their growth plans in sufficient detail that we could very clearly lay out the uses of capital. Cherry Tree then prepared an investor marketing materials, built a list of potential investors, contacted those parties, engaged in discussions, facilitated the bids, we had meetings with management, and ultimately, we guided LifeSpark through the process of selecting the right partner and getting a great deal done. Well, you've got a proven approach to investment funding, and I think we can talk about LifeSpark as a real case study. 
and their journey to new funding and the approach that you've used and what worked and what you might do differently and what you can recommend to others as they go through that process. Your involvement with LifeSpark goes back several years. And with the Virgo investment, what they were looking for was additional capital to expand their operations. So here's a couple of questions for you. Can you talk a little bit about how you got initially involved with LifeSpark, Elmer, and how you helped them identify the need and timing for growth capital? Because I know they felt for a while that they had growth opportunities, but sort of why now? So prior to Cherokee's engagement, you know, I've been an advisor to Joel and the LifeSpark management team for the past 10 years or so, and that's including the involvement in their uh, advisory board. So I'm very familiar with the company, its people and the culture and the markets it serves and the growth opportunity and Joel's vision for expansion with vertical services and value-based partnerships. But they were chosen by Intermountain Healthcare in Utah to serve as Intermountain's partner in community-based senior services. You know, LifeSpark was thrust onto the national healthcare scene and the opportunities for expansion were presenting themselves. Not only is the maturity of LifeSpark's model ready to scale, but the compensation systems for Medicare Advantage are aligned to compensate LifeSpark for the value created for their clients. And Joel decided that the time was right to seek a strategic growth partner with the expertise and the capital to build what he calls an alternative delivery system. So the interview that I did with Joel on the practical CMO, Elmer, we talked a lot about sort of alignment of a lot of opportunities, right? A proven business model, an opportunity for expansion, alternative payment and healthcare sort of being more acceptable. It's really sort of aligning a lot of the pieces. And when we talk about Joel, we should mention we're talking about Joel Tyson, the CEO and founder of the LifeSpark. So what kind of support did you provide LifeSpark prior to sort of this initiative to bring in growth capital? Well, you know, LifeSpark did the hard work, but the key to raising capital is you have to have a fundable plan. And Cherry Tree reviewed the work and served as their capital market navigator. There are literally thousands of healthcare industry investors. And our job was to make sure that the company was represented with complete information, presented all the right list of potential parties, and that the overall process was run efficiently. I can think of a lot of different words that might describe your role as a navigator, right? I mean, navigator is one role. But how would you describe your role with them? I mean, what words would you use to sort of give the listeners sort of an idea of what a navigator can actually do for them? That's a great question. Personally, my role with Joel has not changed much. You know, I believe in him and he trusts my advice and judgment. We've had some very candid conversations and they've always been open with each other. I guess you could say that I act as a player coach involved in strategy, technology, and talent development. And we work well together to complete the Virgo transaction. We have a great team at LifeSpark and Cherry Tree. But I guess I have been known to introduce myself as Joel's Sherpa. So I'll carry a pack right alongside him. Yeah. I think companies really appreciate that, right? They, I think they appreciate navigators or advisors who sort of get in and help them with the strategy but are willing to roll up their sleeves and actually help them do the work. And I can think about all those weekly sessions that we had trying to put the um, assumptions together for each of these opportunities and roll them all up and how hands-on you were in those sessions along with the LifeSpark executive team. You were on LifeSpark's advisory board for I think about 10 years, so you knew the company and the leadership team pretty well. 
what do you think was missing from their business model for them to successfully go outside for investment? Maybe it's not from their business model, but maybe just their sort of capabilities or competencies to run a process like this for themselves. So LifeSpark core business model is solid. However, value-based contracts are new and require new skills, new tools to deliver expected outcomes and ultimately deliver effective results for the, uh, the senior clients. We had a variety of gaps in people, process, and technology. So we had a technology leadership and talent gaps that became very apparent in the second half of 2018. So we recruited a new CTO to design and build what we call the Life Experience Alternative Delivery System. You'll hear us refer to it as LEADS. And subsequently, we've invested in a multi-year EMR integration, data analytics, mobile tool development, remote monitoring, telehealth solutions. We expanded our medical oversight. We hired a new chief medical officer. We had operational gaps and hired a VP of ops to oversee day-to-day process protocols and performance. All of that was laying a path to significantly top grading and playing in the majors. Mm-hmm. So I know LifeSpark had multiple options to secure funding along the way, including, I think Joel said they actually had a small business loan, but you helped them sort out all the different options of bringing in this additional capital. And I, we know that they ended up with a private equity investment, but I think it would be helpful to understand what other investment scenarios did you and the team consider? LifeSpark had been doing all of the above things, like you said, you know, talking to investors, borrowing money, doing things. Joel decided it was time to major in the majors, like I said, and invest in building out the company for national expansion with the value-based programs, aligned with the very best payers and providers. We focused our process on venture capital and private equity that had an investment thesis in healthcare services, they have to have had deep understanding of technology-enabled models and were prepared to invest ahead of profits. Most significantly, Joel wanted a minority partner who believed in him and his vision to change the way we serve seniors and achieve a better life outcome for them. Well, Mark, can you share a little bit more about the key dynamics in the process of building their investment thesis? You also mentioned that there were literally thousands of potential healthcare investors and vetting them had to be a challenge. You know, this isn't something many business executives have an opportunity to do very many times in their careers or sometimes if at all in their careers. I think that was also true for LifeSpark's executive team. But as I have worked with you and seen the successes that you've generated, I know you've got a finely honed process you bring to your clients. And I'll tell you, the process itself that Cherry Tree has fine-tuned over the years, it delivers well-run, organized, and disciplined solicitation process. You know, the buyer lists are very, uh, the investor lists are very specifically tailored to the opportunity. And we put a lot of time and a lot of care into making sure that once we contact these people, we are ready to go all the way to the finish line, that the management team is aligned on the plan, that the messaging is solid, the financial, underlying financial models are solid as a rock. And so, you know, our process is to take an opportunity right down the middle of the bowling alley. But I'll tell you, it's not without challenges. In the case of LifeSpark, we had a solid, profitable, and growing core set of vertical services, including community-based home care, senior campus, skilled home care, community-based primary care, and a newly launched palliative and hospice business. And 
all those vertical businesses are solid, they're under, well understood, we have boots on the ground, and we're scaling. But LifeSpark has this joint venture with Intermountain Healthcare outside of Minnesota, that was new. All the underlying businesses were solid, profitable, and growing. However, now we got this new agreement with North Memorial Healthcare and UCARE to serve the Medicare Advantage clients here in Minnesota. It requires a new set of tools and talents. Most significant dynamic was to demonstrate that the vertical businesses and the value-based business can scale both independently and together. So they're really dependent on shared resources and systems and knowledge, but also independent in terms of risk profile and referrals. Our challenge, as we were presenting this opportunity to investors, was to demonstrate that we were bridging the old model with the new model that changes the delivery system for seniors. Ultimately, the goal is to improve the lives of our senior clients while reducing medical expenses and Many investors are comfortable with either one or the other model. LifeSpark's model was keeping them together. That mandate was, it provided some challenge for us and we lost some investor interest because of it. But in the end, it only takes one party. We had multiple, that's good news, but we found Virgo and they were the right deal for LifeSpark. So if I kind of summarize the process of getting to the Virgo investment, and then we're going to talk about after a short break, sort of how that specifically played out, but, you know, it's having a strong performance, having people who can speak to the current business as well as the plan. But one of the things I took away from the situation and the way, the way you helped them on this one, Elmer, was that you knew out of the potential thousands of healthcare investors, sort of what the ideal investor would look like, right? And what the ideal investment would look like, right? So, I mean, you said it before, you know, you were looking for people who understood healthcare, who understood tech-enabled companies, who are willing to sort of invest on the front end, knowing that the growth and profitability was going to happen down the road, because that was really what the investment was for, is to scale a business up. Anything else that you think would be important to sort of highlight before we take a short break? Yeah, I think that what most executives may feel that because they're getting a phone call a day from an investment group or a investment banker, that those deals are highly qualified and they're ready to go. Quite frankly, they're fishing and they're not all really looking to catch. It might not be the right fit for your company. So what we did is we built our very bespoke or customized process around the very specific requirements that we were looking for for investors. We went out with a solicitation. It was targeted. We signed dozens and dozens and dozens of non-disclosures. We went through dozens and dozens and dozens of phone calls and meetings far before any bids were solicited. Then when the bids came in, we reviewed them as a team. We kept the management team deeply engaged all along the way. We weeded out some bids and it wasn't all driven by the biggest number. It was driven by the best all-round opportunity. And I think that the key is don't believe all those phone calls that you're getting inbound. They need to be well-qualified. When you start to have the conversations and you're serious about raising capital, be prepared to go all the way to the end and close the deal and keep the pace on. And so we did all those right things from a process standpoint to be well-prepared with Mark and the Horizon Growth Planning Initiative to building out a fundable plan, preparing excellent marketing material, identifying the targeted list of potential investors, 
and going A to B with the best one. And that's kind of how I'd sum it up for you, Mark. That's great. You know, Elmer, we've talked about LifeSpark situation prior to the capital acquisition activity. You know, the company was strong, business performance, a very good sense that they had multiple growth opportunities. And, you know, I always like to think that strong current performance is the first P I put out there as part of the three P success factors, right? The first P being performance. When you and I met, you know, we engaged in applying horizon growth processes starting with a workshop where you and I and the LifeSpark executive team identified a series of potential growth opportunities. And I remember that workshop really well because, boy, there were some really high energy personalities involved in that, right? Lots of drawing on the board and jumping up and down. And it was, it was fun. And you could tell the passion and the belief that the executive team had in the future of the business. During that workshop, we did prioritize those opportunities, at least sort of in an initial roadmap where we uh, placed each one into a horizon window. You know, this is something we could do, generate revenue in a year or two, or generate revenue in two or three years, or maybe it was a three to five year new revenue opportunity. And I, you know, when we went through that workshop, just all the interaction with the executive team, how did that affect your thinking about LifeSpark's future opportunities? Well, that was quite an interesting uh, workshop. I really enjoyed it. You know, we. We had longtime employees. We had the CEO. We had the executive team. We had you and I, a couple other outsiders. We had some of the most reputable uh, geriatricians in the United States in the room with us. We had too many opportunities for growth. And of course, you and I worked together on not just LifeSpark, but other companies. And you got to admit, you see that all the time. I see that all the time, where companies have lots of opportunities for growth. Getting management to focus on those with the highest overall score was the key. Another observation is that management often does not know what they don't know. What I mean by that is that your horizon growth process forces discipline into their analysis of these growth opportunities. And better information leads to better decisions. Do they fully understand the market, the competition, the capabilities, the capital required, and the size of the opportunity? You know, with LifeSpark, we're able to envision expansion with value-based services more clearly, so much so that LifeSpark immediately moved to a future Horizon initiative, moved it right up to Horizon Zero, we executed on it. I thought it was an absolutely outstanding way for the management team to put into a structured methodology, the vision for how the company would grow through expanded services and capabilities. And you know, your comment about too many opportunities is often the case. I think for all the years that I've been doing horizon growth workshops and helping businesses with forward planning. I think, I think the most I've ever seen in one company was 37 opportunities. And the fewest I've seen was zero where they never really thought about it. And we had to sort of rebuild a working list from on the fly. But the benefit is really to find the right opportunities and get them in the right order. And, you know, after that LifeSpark workshop, we went to a structure of weekly sessions, which I think we did for about four or five months, where we profiled each of the opportunities identified in depth. We mapped the market potential and competitive fit, you know, bringing in sort of that outside perspective, right? And then we built initial versions of 10-line P&Ls where we captured key assumptions regarding each opportunity. You know, you and I and a subset of the executive team worked on this 
which I think takes us to the second key success fact of um, this whole bringing in outside investment, which is getting the right talent to work on it. That's the people side of it. So when we were doing those weekly sessions, what would you say your takeaways were, Elmer, from that part of the exercise? Well, as I said before, the discipline of critical thinking with the horizon growth process led us to build a fundable plan that LiveSpark's executive team owned. They own that plan. They translated the plan into actionable steps and accountabilities and a timeline that was achievable and provided them with visibility into the capital that was going to be required to execute on these initiatives. The company had a good management system for Horizon Zero. They are an EOS organization and they do a great job of executing that management system. But the roadmap provided them with greater visibility into the investments being made for growth in future horizons, and it allowed them to align resources with their strategy. So I'm a big proponent of structure follows strategy, mm-hmm. and it allowed them to do that. Yeah, the quality of the work that the executive team did, building out the growth map and putting those financial projections of the company's future potential were really, really well done. I mean, I get to see lots of companies go through this. And it's not just about sort of the financial models per se. It's really about the quality of identifying the key assumptions and being able to track. And as you learn more, sort of being able to update those assumptions and then playing those assumptions through into the financial models. I think the heart of an investment thesis is often the strategy and the financials, but what do you think Virgo appreciated about the investment thesis that the LifeSpark team and you kind of pulled together? Well, Virgo, first of all, has um, very talented operating resources steeped with healthcare experience. Virgo understands that we have separate but complementary lines of business. We have a set of vertical businesses with boots on the ground here in Minnesota and Utah serving seniors during this COVID-19 crisis. Those employees and their clients are seriously impacted by the pandemic and the economy. We are so proud of our people on the front lines of service to fight this disease and its spread. Our thesis is that those businesses will expand in service of this important, growing, and vulnerable client base. Those transaction-oriented businesses will compete to win and deliver results. While at the same time, our thesis is that the architecture and the learnings from our captive vertical delivery model will help us expand leads in partnerships with the other providers to form a high-performance network serving Medicare Advantage populations with the goal to improve life experience while reducing medical expenses, especially those costs associated with non-essential emergency room visits and re-hospitalizations. Virgo lined right up behind this strategy. They believe in it. It's good business. It's good mission. And it's the kind of work we're all very proud of being given the opportunity to do, especially, especially during this time of increased complexity and threat of health in our nation's population. And you started the conversations with Virgo well in advance of the COVID crisis. Did that make them more interested? Did that add a sense of urgency to the conversations? I mean, how did that sort of play into the process, Elmer? You know, I think that, interestingly, it gave them even greater commitment to the mission of what we're trying to do. 
we're bringing hospital to the home. We're bringing primary care into where people want to be, where they want to live, and that's to their homes in the community and in the campuses that provide them the integrated set of services they need to live on a day-to-day basis. I think that during this process, we began to pioneer a lot of very challenging issues around compliance. What are we doing to keep our people safe? How are we responding to this crisis in the communities that we're serving? I think during due diligence, which I can tell you in all transactions is increasingly more substantial and more detailed, this one was no different. It was very, very thorough. We had many experts from around the United States hired by the investors to make sure that our business was well documented and had high integrity. And I think it put a a greater emphasis on the protections and the controls, uh, the processes and the protocols that we manage on a day-to-day basis for the investors to feel super comfortable and continue to move forward even during this pandemic crisis. Yep. So the strategy had to be still tuned up for the current events, right? And current events here may have just even highlighted the need even more with this vulnerable senior population. So I know you well enough to know that you and I both believe in continuous learning. And if you were going to go through this exercise again, or if you want to give a CEO who's thinking about bringing in outside capital some practical guidance, what are the things that you would tell them? I mean, if, if you sort of said, okay, look, here's kind of the key success factors. What would be on your working list for that? I'd say, you know, as a former CEO and operating executive, I can appreciate that many CEOs feel that they have all the answers and their team is equipped to do whatever you ask them to do. I've been that guy. I've also hired over 10 investment banks in my life to run processes. And I was deeply involved in those cherry tree multiple times, but I learned the hard way that sometimes you need to ask for help. And there is no substitute for a solid business growth plan that has been challenged from outside and accepted by your team. Get help. Why invest in reinventing a planning process? Invest in defining growth opportunities, developing your unique model, your market intelligence, your intellectual property, and your people. I'd say don't try and run your own process and find investors and buyers on your own. You do not have the tools to do so. You need to get help. A good investment bank will tell you what your company is worth. They'll show you comparable transactions. They'll lay out the process, the dates, the deliverables, the investor or buyer profiles help you prepare your story and represent you with the credibility investors seek. The process takes time and investment. Be prepared up front for thorough due diligence. I talked about that earlier. Be prepared for twists and turns, including unexpected parties to opt in or out. Be prepared and trust that a well-run process will deliver results. Yeah, you know, there's, I mean, I just uh, noted a couple of key words ask for help, solid growth plan, challenge from outside and accepted by your team, which means that your own people are aligned and on board with this, right? I think the whole notion of you focus on the content, let somebody run the process for you is pretty critical, right? I mean, you know your own business and the process of building that plan actually helps align your team and get get everybody on the same page. So 
I think you offered some great practical tips through that. Elmer, do you have any other final thoughts or best practices you think our listeners might benefit from hearing from you? Let me just start off by saying one last thing to the CEOs, and then I would like to kind of just leave you with some thoughts here. Do not see hiring an investment bank or a Mark Corona and a chief outsiders to help you run a growth planning process or help you solicit growth capital as a sign of weakness. Many companies think, oh boy, if anybody hears that I'm doing that, my gosh, will the employees bail out? Will my clients bail out? No. Every day, companies are seeking recapitalizations. They're seeking investors and potentially a strategic exit. You don't have to say yes to any of those, but why wouldn't you go through all the good steps to figure out what your company's worth and who would buy it? Look, your business should be fun and rewarding. It should also be personal. We understand that this is your business. It's not ours. We know your assets and estate are on the line. Whether you're seeking liquidity or growth capital, make sure that your personal motivations are well aligned with your team and your advisors so that you find the right capital or strategic partners. Many CEOs think hiring a investment bank or a growth planning advisor is a sign of weakness. I said that. It is not. Many companies have plans that require capital beyond their available capacity. Proceed with confidence and patience. Process could take way more time than you want. Even if we run an efficient process, it could take more time than you want. Lastly, I guess I'd say have fun with the process because it will be professionally and personally rewarding to you and your management team. You will see your business in a new light and you will learn something that you can apply to your business after the deal is closed. I assure you. And I think the, uh, the LifeSpark example is a great one of a well-run business that did this just with excellence, right? With the coaching and mentoring um, and the Sherpa carrying that you did along the way for them, Elmer. It's a great case study for anybody who wants to understand how to do this well. You know, we've got some free resources on the program description on the internet site. Please take advantage of those. You know, Elmer, thanks for joining me today. I have a sneaky suspicion that there are listeners who are gonna want your contact information pursue a conversation with you what's the best way for people to find you i would just ask them to either look me up on linkedin under elmer baldwin or maybe even preferably go to the cherry tree website it's cherrytree.com my profile is on there our contact information you reach out to me and you'll get an immediate response we'd love to meet you and, and see what we can help perfect well thanks again for joining us i think uh, this delivered the uh, the practical advice on a very current topic that a lot of CEOs are struggling with. So uh, thanks again for joining me today, Elmer. My pleasure, Mark.